Amen, amen, amen. So it's good to see everyone here this morning. Hopefully you guys are doing well. I see a couple people that look like they've, you know, they're kind of in the food coma from yesterday. Did everyone have a good Christmas? Yes, awesome. Yeah, we did too. We spent some time over at the in-laws, so that was a lot of fun. So, um, man, it's hard to believe this is the last. Um, this is the last Sunday in 2021, which is wild. Um, it seems like 2021 was just beginning, and then here we are, the last Sunday. So the next time we meet, it's going to be 2022. So. Are you guys ready for that? I don't know. It's kind of crazy. I, I don't know about you, but do, do you feel like, maybe it's just me, but I always feel like my even years are better than my odd years. So I feel like 2022 is going to be really exciting. 2021 was kind of boring. So anyways, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But, um, but yeah, so I'm excited that this is, man, I can't believe that this is our last Sunday of 2021. So, um, I, you know, I was, I was, as I was thinking about what to share about, Um, I was reading through the Christmas story in Matthew. So if you guys want to turn with me to your, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter two, um, verses 16 through 18, Um, I was reading, I was reading through the Christmas story and I don't know, for some reason, this passage of scripture kind of stood out to me, um, to kind of give you a little bit of context. Um, Jesus had come, the Magi had come, the shepherds had come. And uh, the Christmas story um, had just kind of finished up. And um, this is what happened immediately after Christmas. And um, I'm thinking, man, we just had Christmas yesterday. And it's kind of fitting. So I guess the, the title of my message is called After Christmas. Can you look to your neighbor and say, After Christmas? This happened right after Christmas. I don't know if you guys, you, you, you know, you had a good time celebrating with your family, playing games, eating food, drinking eggnog. Is that, yeah, people still drink eggnog, right? Gross. Um, um, you know, Christmas, all the things that happened, and then this is kind of right after Christmas, okay? It says this in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. He was mad. He was really mad. Um, So then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and and, and in all its districts from two years old and older, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men, from the Magi. Uh, Then was was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamenting, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted comforted because there were no more. I'm just going to read that again. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and older, and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamenting, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because there were no more. God, speak to us this morning through your word. 
Minister to us this morning through your word. I just pray that it'll come alive to us this morning. And um, in some ways, I feel like this could be um, three different sermons or maybe even 20 different sermons. And God, I just pray that um, you will just give me clarity of thought this morning and that um, you'll minister through your word in your holy name. Amen. After Christmas, after Christmas. So um, it's interesting when you read the book of Matthew, um, most scholars believe that Matthew was written by Matthew, the tax collector, the apostle. Uh, Matthew is the longest gospel by chapter. Luke is the longest by verse, but Matthew is the longest by chapter, 28 chapters. And um, it would make sense because he was a tax collector and he was very detailed and he just had an eye for things. And it's interesting because when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, what it does many times is, what he does many times is he, he points to the Old Testament in speaking of Jesus. So he's, he looks to the Old Testament and then, so he's like trying to convince his readers that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that they'd been looking for. He's the one that had been prophesied about. And you can see this actually through all of Matthew, but especially in the first couple chapters, you see him drawing back to the Old Testament. He like goes back to the Old Testament and then brings it forward. He goes back to the Old Testament and then brings it forward. And what he's doing is he's trying to point to, again, to Jesus being the Messiah. And you can see this um, in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy, he, he, takes, uh, he goes all the way back to Abraham, and he traces the genealogy all the way up to Jesus. And so he's taking things from the Old Testament, bringing them all the way up to Jesus. And then you see it again in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when he quotes a passage of Isaiah, the, uh, of Isaiah, the prophet, and he links Jesus to Emmanuel, God with us. And so he's going back to Isaiah. And then in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, he quotes Micah, which we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, and, and he He's going back into the Old Testament, and he keeps on going back into the Old Testament, and he, he, he draws back, and he draws back, and he draws back, to, to, to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. You see this pattern again and again and again. And so you see him once again um, speaking of something that's happening at the present time, and then pushing it all the way back to something that happened in the Old Testament. And so you see this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament and the New Testament, Old, Old Testament and the New Testament. So they're, they're, they're really linked together um, quite a bit. And so, so here he speaks and he says, A voice was heard in Ramah lamenting. Again, this was right after Christmas. A voice of one was heard in Ramah lamenting, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. So you kind of wonder, like, what in the world is he talking about? Like, why is he quoting this old passage, uh, Old Testament scripture? And how does this relate with what was happening at the time? I don't really understand. Like, who is Rachel and why is she weeping? Like, like who is this? I mean, do you guys know anyone by the name of Rachel? It's still a pretty popular, yeah, yeah like, like, who is Rachel? Is, 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 is it this Rachel? Like, like, who exactly is he talking about? And... Um, it's interesting. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story, but what I'm, I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to go back in time to the book of Genesis, and then I'm going to go back in time to the book of Jeremiah. And again, this could probably be 20 different sermons. I'm going to go back in time to the book of um, Genesis. I'm going to go back in time to the book of Jeremiah, and then I'm going to go back in time to the book of Matthew, and I'm going to try to connect them all together. Are you guys with me this morning? 
Because I feel like this is, you know, you guys have the, it's like the after Christmas lull. Are you guys with me this morning? Yes, hopefully. It's like, so I'm going to go back to Genesis. I'm going to go back to Jeremiah. And again, this, I feel like as I'm getting this sermon ready, I'm like, what am I doing? This is insane. So I'm going to go back to Genesis. I'm going to go back to Jeremiah. Then I'm going to go back to Matthew. And I'm going to try to, and I'm going to try to connect all the dots. And I'm going to try to connect them with you today so that maybe you're here and you kind of feel like, man, it's after Christmas. And I kind of feel like I'm bleh. And, I wanna, and I'm going to try to connect the dots and give you guys some hope today, okay? And so, so you kind of wonder, like, who is this Rachel character that's talked about uh, here in the book of Matthew? And why is it applicable um, today? Like, why is Rachel applicable today? Well, again, you have to go back in Scripture. Go back many, many, many years. And if you go to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible... The first spot where this lady named Rachel is mentioned is found in Genesis chapter 23. You can go there in your Bibles if you want to, and you can look there if you want to. But I'm going to kind of give you an overview of what happened in Genesis chapter 23. So there was this man named Jacob who had left his father, and he was traveling east. And as he's traveling east, he's traveling and he's just doing his thing, he's traveling east, he comes across a well And there is a large rock that's in front of this well. And as he goes and he sees this well, he sees that there's three separate flocks of sheep that are at this well. And so he um, he he's looking, and he one of the one of the flocks of sheep belonged to a woman named Rachel. Rachel. And so it says in Scripture that him being a gentleman that he was, he moved the rock. Um, for the well so that Rachel could get the water. And he was so infatuated with Rachel, it says that after he helped her, he kissed her. Can you believe that? The first date, he kissed her. Oh my goodness, that's scandalous, isn't it? He kissed her on the first date. He kissed her, and he was so infatuated with Rachel, after he kissed her, said that he cried. Now, can you imagine? You're on a date with some girl, and, and, and you give her a kiss, and you're so over, overwhelmed with emotion because she's so beautiful and perfect and amazing that you cry. So he, he, he sees her, he kisses her, and then it says that he wept. He cried, which is crazy. So, so here's, here's, here's Jacob. Here's Rachel. He's so infatuated with Rachel that after he kisses her and after he cries, he goes to her father and he says, Laban, he said, I want to marry your daughter. Can you imagine that? So, so you meet someone, you kiss them, you cry. Then you go and you say, hey, listen, I want to marry your daughter. I mean, talk about a fast relationship. I mean, my, my parents, they met, they dated, they got engaged, planned the wedding, and got, and, and got married in six months, which I thought was quick. But here, li- li- listen, Rachel, Jacob, he met her, he kissed her, he cried, he went to her, her father, was like, hey, I need to marry her. And uh, Laban says, her, her father says, you can marry her, but you first have to work for me for seven years. So because of Jacob's immense love for Rachel, he just met her, he works for, her, he works for him for seven years. And it says in Scripture that he loved her so much that um, the seven years just seemed like a moment in time. It was very quick. Unbeknownst to him, his wedding night, his, his future father-in-law, praise the Lord, father-in-laws are amazing, but his future father-in-law tricked him and gave him his other daughter. Can you believe it? Wakes up in the morning. I'm like, Jacob, what are you thinking? But he wakes up in the morning. He's like, oh, wait, I got the wrong sister. So he goes to Laban. He's like, Laban, you tricked me. And Laban said, if you work for me another seven years... Then I will give you Rachel. And so he works for Laban another seven years. So he worked 14 years for this man. 14 years. 
He finally gets his beloved Rachel. And um, so that's kind of how the relationship started. Now, 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 back then, and even now, children are considered a blessing um, from the Lord, right? I mean, and, and so, so Rachel really, really wanted children. And um, sadly, um, her womb was closed. So um, she, she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she was not able to have any children. And it was crazy because she wasn't able to have any children but everyone around her was able to have children. Her sister was having a bunch of children. Uh, her maidservants were having a bunch of children. And she wasn't able to have any children. So she was just very, very distraught, very, very distressed. And this is actually what she says in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. It says, now when Rachel saw that she bore, that when, when, uh, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, uh, Rachel envied her sister, Leah, and said to Jacob, give me children or else I will die. She was really distressed because she was not able to have any children. And she had, she had a, an immense love and a passion for children. Like she, she wanted to have kids so bad. And, and I got to be honest, I, like I, I've met some people before that have really, you know, tried to have kids and haven't been able to have kids. And like there is a great sorrow in that. And if that's anyone here today, man, there, there, is, an ingre- there, there is an immense sorrow in that. She desperately wanted children. She really, really wanted to have kids. And here her sister's having kids, and here her, handmaids, here, her, here her handmaids are having kids, and everyone else is having kids, but she's not having any children. But when you think of Rachel in the Bible, you think of someone that really had a, a desperation and a love and a passion for kids and for family. Okay? That's in Genesis. Unable to have any kids. Now, if you jump forward to the book of Jeremiah... Um, what had happened, and again, so, so Genesis, Jeremiah, and Matthew. So Genesis, here's Rachel. She's trying to have kids. She's unable to have any kids. And then, then we jump up to Jeremiah. Now, in Jeremiah, um, what had happened is this was about 100 years before Isaiah, about 100 years before Micah. Um, this was about 600 years before Matthew and the prophecy, so about 2,600 years ago. The northern kingdom had fallen in Israel and had been destroyed. Only the southern kingdom remained, and Israel had been going through um, different kings. And so there was like a good king and a bad king and a good king and a bad king and a good king and a bad king and a good king and a bad king. It was like going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so um, there was this king named Hezekiah who was a good king. Who, there was no one like him before him. And then there was a, a, a king named Manasseh who was a terrible king. He was a wicked ruler. Um, he, um, he built shrines in the temple. He was oppressing the people. He was making the people do sins. In fact, it says that uh, because of the sins of Manasseh, God had to bring his judgment on the people of Israel. Manasseh was just a really bad king. And, and after Manasseh, there was Amon, who was another wicked, wicked king. And then there was a king named Josiah, who was a great king, who discovered the lost copy of God's law in the temple and was like bringing the people back. And, but, 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 but Jeremiah, so, so, so you can imagine like good king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, and uh, the people of Israel had, had wandered away and had, had, had gone away from God, and so God was bringing his judgment on the people of Israel. And so Jeremiah is looking forward, and he's seeing that the, the southern kingdom of Israel is, is going to fall to Babylon,
Babylon. And so he's kind of prophesying. And, and, and you got to understand, so like in the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel were often called from the house of Jacob. And so he's, he's, he's kind of like linking Jacob. And he uses this passage of scripture here. He says, and this is the quote from Matthew. He says um, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, he says, Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamenting and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children uh, because there were no more. So Matthew is quoting from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is speaking of a time where the southern kingdom was about to fall. So here in Genesis, we have Rachel, who is upset because she's unable to have any children. And here in Jeremiah, uh, we have this passage of scripture where the southern kingdom is about to fall. And so the, the, there's a link between both of them. And then, and then here in the book of Matthew, we see that um, something great had happened. The Messiah had just been born. Uh, he had come, he would fulfilled prophecy, all these things, he had just been born. And then the, but there was an evil king. There was a king named King Herod who was, we talked about him a few weeks ago. He was like an evil genius. He did a lot of good things, but he also did a lot of bad things. He, he did a lot of good things for the economy, and he built a bunch of beautiful structures, but he also did a lot of bad things. He was like psychotic. He was nervous, and he thought people were trying to overthrow his kingdom. He killed his kids. He killed his wife. He killed all sorts of people. He had troops around him all the time. He was a paranoid king. And so we see this in each instance, in, in, in Genesis, in Jeremiah, and then also in the book of Matthew, we can see that people are um, without hope. People are facing suffering. Uh, people are uh, facing hardship. Uh, people are facing death and destruction. In Genesis... And in Jeremiah and in Matthew. Do you guys see that with me today? There's a link between all three passages in Genesis, in Jeremiah, and in Matthew. People were facing suffering, people were facing hardship, people were facing pain, people were facing uncertainty in Genesis and in Jeremiah. And in Matthew. So here's the application for you today. Do you today feel like maybe you have, maybe you're in a season of suffering? Do you maybe feel like you're in a season of pain? Do you maybe feel like you're in a season of hardship? You hear this morning, and for some people, the, the, the Christmas season is an incredible season of joy. Oh my goodness, I got to hang out with my family. Oh my goodness, I got to hang out with my friends. I got to eat some food and some ham. And I had some ham yesterday. It was delicious. Thank you, Judy. Um, I, I, you know, it's, I guess it's, it's an amazing season. But for other people, the Christmas season is a season of suffering and of hardship, of pain. And here, here, the 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 author of Matthew is pointing all the way back to Genesis. He's pointing all the way back to Jeremiah, right? He's like, hey, listen, listen, listen. In, in, in Genesis with Rachel, there was incredible pain because she, she was unable to have any children. Her, her womb was closed. 
In Jeremiah, there was incredible pain because uh, the southern kingdom was about to fall and the Babylonians were about to come in and they were going to be in Ram- and, and, and guess what? All these kids and all these people were going to be uh, shipped off to Babylon and were going to be in captivity for 70 years. Like, there, there was suffering in Genesis. There was suffering in Jeremiah. And actually, even right now, while, while Jesus is just right after Jesus was born, there's suffering, there's hardship, and there's pain. I don't understand it. It seems like if... If Jesus were, were coming into the world, if Jesus was really in charge of everything, if he, if he really had all the plan, plan, like why is there suffering in Genesis? Why is there suffering in Jeremiah? And why is there, why, why, why is there suffering in, like, okay, so, so I can maybe understand Genesis and Jeremiah, but, but why is there suffering in Matthew? I mean, you would think, if, if the Lord is coming incarnate, God incarnate in the flesh, come, like why would there be suffering immediately after he's born? Right? Why? Why would there be suffering immediately after he's born? And, and I, guess, I guess I want to... Man, I got lost in my notes. Where am I at? <laughs> I guess what I, 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 I want to encourage you today is... That in Genesis and in Jeremiah and in Matthew, there are threads of hope. There are threads of hope in Genesis and in Jeremiah and in Matthew, there are threads of hope. In Genesis, we see that after she spoke to um, Jacob and said, I wish I were to die. Again, I, I kind of want to lay this out. Hopefully, again, this could be a hundred different sermons. Genesis, after she said, I, man, I, I, if I don't have any kids, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm suffering. I'm in pain. I'm, I don't understand. My sister's having all these kids and I'm not having any. So in Genesis, in the same chapter, it says that the, after, after she cried out to the Lord, the Lord actually opened her womb. She had Joseph. It's exciting. It's like, hey, that's cool. Her first son. But it's interesting because actually if you go to the end of her life, in Genesis chapter 34, the Lord opened her womb again. Not only did she have Joseph, but at the end of her life she had, she named him Benoni. The end of her, so so she, she had Joseph, and she also had, she named him Benoni. It says in Scripture that as she had him, she was in great labor, she was in great pain, and that she actually died in the process of having him. So you think about this poor lady. So she's, she, she, she wants to have kids. She's crying. She sees her sister having... Finally, she has one son, and her sister has all these, all these kids. And so, so finally, at the end of her life, she's in great pain. She's in great sorrow. So she has her son, and she says at the end of her life, she's going to name her son Benoni. And Benoni actually means... Son of my sorrows. Okay? After she names him, after she, as she's dying, as she passes, I'm going to name him Son of my sorrows. It says that Jacob renamed him Benjamin. So, son of my sorrows. Jacob renamed him Benjamin. And Benjamin means son of my right hand. 
Like she, she was looking at her pain and her sorrow, and she was looking at the things that her, you know, her sister was having more kids, and she was in distress. I'm going to name him the, the son of my sorrows. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've been like that before. Like, I'm just going to name the season of my life the son of anguish. I'm just going to name the season of my life, you know, I don't know, sickness. I'm just going to name the season of my life doubt. I'm just going to name the season of my life my jerk of a husband. I'm just going to name the season of my life whatever. You can fill in the dialogue like a man of my, man of sorrows. I'm going to name this kid man of sorrows. Jacob says, no, no, listen, listen. He's in a man of sorrows. Son of my right hand. Not son of sorrows. Son of my right hand. The right hand was a symbol of power and authority. Like Jacob understood that this difficulty was difficult. I mean, his wife was passing, was dying in the delivery of her son. But he understood that, that I think that, like that it was just a season and that God was going to use the suffering for good. There's, there's threads of hope throughout the um, Old Testament. In Jeremiah, it's interesting. So you think about the, you think about the southern kingdom falling and you think about you know, the, the prophecy of, of what was happening. And, but actually, if you looked at the entirety of Jeremiah chapter 31, look at this in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 16 and 17. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Refrain your voice from re- weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. There is hope in your future. In Genesis, you can see hope. In Jeremiah, you can see hope. In Matthew, we can see hope. Like, there's, there, like, like, like there's, 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 you know, kids being killed and everything else, but you can see hope through what was happening. I guess my, my thoughts for you this morning is, if you're going through a season of pain, if you're going through a season of difficulty, I want to encourage you that in much sorrow, God is present. Uh, there is hope in Jesus' name. Uh, he, he is our anchor to the storm. The worship team can come back up. He is our anchor in the storm. I like what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And, and, he speak, and the author is speaking to a church that had uh, started facing persecution. He said this, he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think sometimes what we do is... We, um, I don't know, we kind of look at, we look, we look at our lives through the lens of a season. Or we look through our lives just through like a little insert. Like if you think about if you're watching a, a movie or a TV show, we look at just, 
we look at just a small portion. We look at the, the hardship in that one small, that, that small portion, and we forget to realize that God sees the full picture, and that there's hope, and that even in our sorrows, that, 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 that there's hope in our sorrows. God, today I just come before you, and I just pray for those who are here physically and those who are also watching online. God, I, uh, I just pray that you'll strengthen us and encourage us. You know, I think about after Christmas, like right after Jesus was born, uh, this thing happened. And you think it, it could have been very easy for people to lose their hope. It could have been very easy for people to lose their faith. It could have been very easy for people to, to step away and to fall follow, follow away. But God, um, you had a plan, and it was orchestrated from the beginning. And you were fulfilling your prophecy. You were fulfilling the things that were written in your word. And God, today we just trust in you. We believe in you. God, we know that you give us hope, that you give us joy, that you give us peace, even when things around us seem to be uh, going crazy, even when um, maybe our family is messed up or our spouse is doing crazy things, our kids. What, God, we know that you're in control. God, we know that you, um, that you see us and you understand our scenario, Father. And today, God, as we sing this song, um, may you uh, receive all the glory and may you receive all the praise. May you strengthen us. May, may we not be people of sorrow, but may, may we, but may we be people of joy and may, may we be people of hope. God, you have given us uh, your son. We have the ultimate example of, of goodness, Father. And uh, we know that uh, you uh, went to the cross for us and died for us so that we can experience life and so that we can f- experience life abundantly, Father. We give you the glory.